want to do a quick sermon series on life lessons from the Bible, which is as generic a title as you could possibly imagine. Uh, but uh, this is a simple insight, this simple truism that you have to know how things work in life if you want to navigate life well. Um, I've felt led this week in prayer with the Lord to talk a bit this morning about redemption. How many of you have heard that very Christian word, redemption? Redemption. Um, there's so much that the Bible says on the subject, and it speaks about redemption in so many different ways. Um, but what I want to think about this morning is, is the question, are you, are you redeemed? Do you think that you're redeemed by the Lord? Uh, but I want to make that question more specific. Do you feel that you move in and with redemption in your life? Is there a work of redeeming in your life such that all of your negative experiences ultimately become positive tools and power? I think that's a certain grace of the kingdom of God when something bad happens to us or occasionally through us. We can surrender that thing to the Lord and He redeems it like he redeems us from our sins, he redeems us from our injuries, which is to say he moves us to a different place. In the kingdom of God, things get redeemed. And I do think that's the life lesson for the morning, uh, the quick life lesson on this hot, stuffy morning. Things get redeemed. With God, things get redeemed. So just turn to somebody and say, you know, things get redeemed. Big things, little things, bad negative experiences, self-disappointments or circumstantial disappointments. I remember, uh, I remember uh, the first time I felt, I felt like a teacher. Um, now I had been, uh, I had sort of had this, uh, this short-lived academic career. I'd done a lot of teaching, a lot of uh, lecturing uh, at university and, uh, and I would say at best I felt like an expert, but I never really felt like a teacher. I don't know if that's meaningful to you. Uh, but I, uh, this was about, uh, I don't know, about 15 years ago, I was on a trip to, to Bangladesh, very poor country, even poorer at that time. And I was out in the middle of nowhere uh, talking to a, a bunch of young people who had come into the city from the mountain tribes. Uh, so they were, they were people who were very different people than I, uh, I was. Uh, and they had had no education to speak of. Uh, some of them were, were scarcely uh, literate. Um, and I, was, uh, I had recently uh, left a postdoc at Harvard. Um, so I had gotten a pretty good education, actually. Uh, and, and I was, uh, we, were, we were crowded together in this uh, really uh, humid, stuffy structure. I don't know if you can imagine what that's like, <laughs> but, but if you can, it's not conducive to uh, learning and concentration necessarily. And I was talking to them about the work of the Holy Spirit, and I was, I was giving a teaching that I had probably given about 40 or 50 times in American churches. And, uh, and I was speaking through an interpreter uh, who was interpreting uh, into Bangla, which is a language of which I knew nothing. 
So I had to change my English. I had to make it very simple and very stark. I had to change the way. It, it was all very uh, methodical and intense. And after about two and a half days of doing this in the course of a week uh, of togetherness, um, I saw lights go off in their eyes. I realized that, that things were changing for them. I, understand, I, I saw that they were understanding Jesus and the kingdom of God for the first time. They started praying to, uh, for each other. They started moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw healings happen uh, in, that, in that group of these young new believers from this desperately, uh, desperately poor place. And that was the first moment I ever felt like a teacher because I had, I had leveraged the, the gift of teaching in a way. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't an expert. I was actually teaching. Does this make sense to you? I don't have better language to it. If I were a better teacher, I could communicate the principle. Um, I needed the gift of teaching more in that moment than I ever had. So that's the first time I felt like a teacher. And I thought, wow, you know, I did... I did learned something about teaching in the midst of all of that lecturing at university, but it really had nothing to do with university itself. I felt there was something in that that sort of redeemed my experience. But that's the end of the story because there's a difference between being a teacher and being a preacher. A teacher can teach from expertise. Like I say, a teacher can teach from the Bible, but a preacher can only preach from experience. What a preacher needs is stories personal stories that he or she has experienced because it's our experience that lends authority to what we say. And if you, can, if you can speak from experience, then you can preach with authority. A teacher can teach expertise, but a preacher needs to have uh, experience. And the first time I became a preacher was, was a, a short while after that. I was in my, uh, I was in my early 30s uh, at that point, and I was invited to to speak in a church, I didn't know what to speak of, so what I spoke about was my frustrations from that aforementioned academic career. Um, I had, my, my academic career was short-lived because I felt like it was dead-ending, it was going nowhere, and, and I was getting you know, frustrated with the lack of, of job opportunities that I thought were really appropriate, and, and, and eventually I just, I just quit, I just left. I said, you know, I, I'm not really feeling a lot of satisfaction and purpose here. So I walked away from it and didn't know uh, what I was gonna do next except that I was going to try and, you know, at least use the gifts that I had developed in it. And I remember a conversation I had with one of my mentors, a professor, uh, I was at the, at the University of Chicago, one of the men who sat on my dissertation committee, and, uh, and I was chatting with him about my job prospects uh, one afternoon in his office, and he said to me, Jordan, uh, you're not going to get a job. He's a very blunt guy. His name was John Mearsheimer, he's a quite eminent professor, and uh, everybody was scared of him. Uh, for some reason, he liked me, I think, because I was um, as brusque as he was. He said, yeah, you're probably not going to get a job, Jordan. I said, well, why, why is that? Don't you like my work? And he said, oh, I like your work. You're actually really smart, uh, and you can write really well. Uh, but here's the problem. Number one, you've come up with a good policy answer that is going to be very politically unpopular. So nobody's going to give you a job for that reason. Number two, you're white. And in academia, um, you know, white men aren't getting jobs right now. You know, minority women are getting jobs right now. I thought, well, that's, that's kind of a politically incorrect thing for you to say uh, to me. And, and, you know, if you analyze the DNA, frankly, I'm not, I'm, I'm, 
can make a case that I'm not even purely white. I just kind of look white. Um, but, uh, but he said, yeah, so in a competitive field, uh, you're not going to get a job. Uh, so this is what you should do. Take your smarts and take your writing and go do something else that you find meaningful. And I thought, well, it's actually not bad advice uh, from uh, a guy who's uh, a crusty uh, non-believer. I was telling this story at this church. I was basically telling the story of my failure. I said, my dreams for my life, you know, I was past 30 years old. I was maybe 32, 33. My dreams had failed. Right? I wasn't going to be what I wanted to be. And I was telling this story uh, at this church and talking about how you, know, you have to follow God anyway. And I remember the Lord spoke to me while I was standing in the pulpit in this rather formal church uh, and said, uh, preach it. I was like, what? He said, no, preach it. You know, you failed. Let it rip. Tell it. You know, and, and, and so I started telling the story. He's like, yeah, you know, actually... Um, this wasn't just a twist in the road. This was a failure. You know how I felt when it happened? I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt brokenhearted. You want to know the truth? I was depressed to begin with. And, and when I had to walk away from my, my career, it almost killed me. I just let it rip. And then I felt the Lord said, now you're a preacher. Now you're a preacher because what you're saying has authority. And then I could speak with faith into that situation. The Lord redeemed my experience of failure in a way that made it a source of power for me. Why? Because everybody relates to failure, don't they? Everybody relates to disappointment, whether it's like something disappointing that happens to you or a way in which you've disappointed people and you've fallen short. We all have that experience, you know? And I remember I ended that service by saying, hey, Jesus is for losers. And there was an audible gasp uh, in the church. True or false, Jesus is for losers. Yeah, turn to someone and say, Jesus is for losers. Thank God. He's probably for winners too. I know less about that. A bad experience is redeemed when it becomes part of your power. A bad experience is redeemed when it becomes part of your power. That's the lesson for today. That's the lesson for today. Um, do you guys, uh, anybody feel like they have a fairly good bead on what their life purpose is? You kind of like, yeah, I think I know. I'm not, I'm not going to make you shout it out, so... Just, just so you know, this is a safe question. I don't ask many. Did anybody feel like they kind of like, yeah, you know? One, good, because I've preached on purpose for six months. I'm glad that Steve has been transformed by this authoritative preaching that I've just bragged about. Two, awesome. Three, four, five, all right. I'm feeling a little bit better. Anybody feel like, like yeah, I actually kind of feel like I know what my calling is. Incidentally, if you don't sign up quickly for the Pathway to Purpose conference on July 29th and you have to bring a friend, we won't charge you 85 bucks, we'll charge you 20 bucks and you'll get all the workbooks and stuff like that. Bring somebody from your office or your workplace or your neighborhood. Um, so if you didn't raise your hand, you have to sign up. 
Uh, spaces are very limited, though. We only have spaces for about 100. So get in on that. Close parentheses. If you feel like you have a pretty good sense of your life calling and your purpose, I bet, I bet somewhere folded into the story of your calling and purpose is, is an experience of frustration or failure. There's something about going through an experience of frustration and failure that really clarifies purpose in our lives. Because redemption is a powerful thing. Uh, a few scriptures to go through today. Uh, you can read them on the back of the program. They're going to be up on the big screen. But these all have to do with redemption in a different fashion. From Colossians chapter 1. Excuse me. This is from a letter that the Apostle Paul uh, is writing to um, a church plant, some, some young Christians in the city of Colossae. And he's just kind of explaining how God works. He's just offering life lessons. And he says to them, for he, for God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Literally, that means the control of darkness. He has rescued us from the control of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. He brought us into Jesus' kingdom. That word kingdom can also be translated as dominion or control or authority. He has rescued us from darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption. Uh, Greek, apolytrosis. Redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And that word forgiveness means not like God is no longer mad at you. It means that your sins have been canceled. They've been erased. Um, so he removes the effects of your sins or your shortcomings. So that's what God does to our lives. Uh, that's, that's the business of rescue and redemption. He takes you from a place of darkness from a place of failure, from a place of shortcomings, from a place of disappointment, from a place of pain and sorrow. Not just a place of those dark things, but the dominion of those dark things is the way the scripture puts it, right? Uh, if you're under the dominion of disappointment, what's life like for you? Well, you're kind of controlled by your disappointments. If you're under the dominion of sin, what is life like for you? Well, I mean, you're controlled by your sin. In some fashion, your shortcomings or your misbehaviors are really dominating your behavior or defining your life or messing up your thinking in such a way that it, it has you controlled. That's what it means to be under dominion. If you're under the dominion of your past, of your sorrows from your past, if you're under the dominion of your sorrows, what is life like for you? Fun, not fun. Purposeful, not purposeful. Um, you're being yanked around uh, by, by dark things. So he, what he does is he moves your life from a place in which your negative experiences control you, dominate you, has, have dominion over you, and he moves you into the kingdom of the sun. What's the kingdom of the sun like? Well, he says uh, in it there's a canceling out of sins. There's an erasure of sins. So you're not controlled by those things anymore. What's life like for you if you've been moved into a place where the negative things that you did no longer 
influence you? Better? Uh, what's life like when you get moved into a place where the heartbreaks that you've experienced over broken dreams or bad relationships or a rough upbringing no longer influence you? Is your life better? Better, yeah. So that's, that's what the verse is talking about. And, and Paul talk, calls this process redemption. That's what a redeemed life is like. A redeemed life is a, like, is a life in which the bad stuff that used to influence you, the brokenheartedness, the sorrow, the sin, no longer influences you. And you're kind of free to be something else. And Paul thinks that's at the center of life with Jesus. That's what it's like to be in the kingdom of Jesus. That's what it means to have redemption at work in your life. Does it sound good? How many of you are pro-redemption at this point? How many of you still need to be convinced? Redemption. Boring. Uh, Luke 22. Uh, is uh, another one of, of many, many passages in the Bible, and particularly in the New Testament, about redemption. And, and this is just a snippet from a larger story. Do you know the story of Peter at the end of Jesus' life? Peter was sort of, even at that time, before Jesus had died on the cross, Peter had kind of risen to a place of prominence among the twelve uh, apostles. He was kind of known as the chief apostle. And, and as, as Jesus' life uh, drew to a close, he started talking about his execution and his pending death, and, and, uh, and he, he told the guys a few times, you know what, I'm going to die pretty soon. I'm going to die pretty soon, um, and, and uh, it's going to be rough when it goes down. I just want you guys to know, and Peter at one point brags to him and says, ah, uh, you know, even if it's rough, Jesus, I'll never leave your side. I'll never deny you. I'll be with you to the end because I'm all that. And, uh, and, and Jesus said, well, actually, you know, before, before the cock crows in the morning, you will have denied me three times. And then on the night of Jesus' trial, the night before he, uh, his death, of course, Peter ends up denying that he even knows Jesus. And it was a very cowardly act and a great failure and, and Jesus knew this was coming. He knew this was coming. And in Luke 22, this is what he says to Peter. <clears throat> Simon Peter was his name. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, meaning you, Peter, and the rest of the disciples as well. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, which is interesting. Even though you're going to fail. I have prayed for you so that your faith doesn't fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And Simon, you're about to get your butt kicked, but I pray that your faith doesn't fail. And when you have rebounded from the experience, uh, remember to strengthen your brothers. You know why I like these verses so much. Well, so many reasons. I mean, I like it that Jesus kind of already knows the score about Peter. It's like, yeah, you know, Peter, you are a great guy, but you're a little bit of a braggart. Um, you know, you, you think you're stronger than you are. Um, so uh, speaking of your strength, um, Satan's going to sift you like wheat. Now that sounds painful. Um, 
but there's something encouraging in the metaphor. Sifting, what is sifting? Sifting is getting the bad out, right? And separating the bad from the good. Uh, Satan's gonna put you through a trial, but you'll be refined by the end of it. And when you turn back, uh, I like the way the King James translates this verse. It says, uh, Satan's gonna sift you like wheat, but when you are converted, the King James says, when you have that changeful experience after it's all over, you know, that one that your unfailing faith brings to you, then strengthen your brothers. And that's my favorite phrase in these verses. It's like Satan's gonna kick your butt and you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to convert. You're gonna have to repent when it's all over. But then strengthen your brothers, which says two things. You know, one, you know, the brothers are gonna need some strength, but, but two, the presumption here, Jesus' presumption is that after Peter has this incredibly disappointing experience, after he sins, after he betrays the Lord, he's just gonna shake it off and find that he has more strength than the brothers who did not deny him, who did not behave quite so cowardly. In Jesus' mind, failing and rebounding leaves you stronger than when you started. Do you see how that works? Peter, you're going to, actually times are going to be tough, and actually Peter, you're going to have the worst of it. You're going to be the worst performer. So at the end of it, after you repent, you're obviously going to be the strongest guy standing. Does that make sense to you? But that's what redemption does in our lives. That's the life principle in the kingdom of God. If you have a bad failure, a bad disappointment, a bad heartbreak, you will end up being the stronger for it, provided you have an experience of redemption, provided your faith does not fail, and at the end of it, you turn around. I like the word rebound. You rebound, you bounce. You don't just splat, you bounce. Um, provided you do that, you're actually gonna be stronger due to the weakness that you've experienced. You know that martial arts adage, you know, like we, all those kung fu movies that show the kung fu master, they're trying to get strong, so when they're young, they hit stones and they break their hand and they break your, their arm so that when the, when the bone heals, it's stronger than before. That's actually false. It doesn't really work that way. If you break your hand a lot, you're going to end up with a really weak hand. But in the kingdom of God, it's kind of as if it's true. That if you break your heart a lot, but persevere in faith anyway, then actually your heartbreak turns into tremendous authority. You could preach from a place of disappointment and change lives. You following me? So let me ask again, is that kind of redemption at work in your life? Because I think that's what it means to be redeemed in the kingdom of God. Not just, oh yeah, Jesus forgave me from my sins, I'm good to go. That's awesome. But are you redeemed? Does this sort of turnover happen in your life? Do your negative experiences turn into power for you? It sounds amazing, but that's a privilege that we have in the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. 
Just say, yeah, if you follow me. For the poetically inclined, one more verse. I just chose a favorite verse from the Psalms. So many verses on the way of redemption in the kingdom of God. Uh, but this is a lovely one from Psalm 126. Those who sow with tears, if you're not agriculturally inclined, to sow means to plant or to scatter seed. Those who plant seed with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves or harvest with them. That's worth, that's worth memorizing. So let's just read it together, shall we? Such a lovely psalm. Read with me. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Do you like that? Yeah, that's the kind of verse you should write at the end of your greeting cards and stuff. Do you think that's true? Here's what I love about this verse. I mean, it's a poem, it's a song lyric. So, you know, it's supposed to be beautiful, and it certainly is, but it just carries a load of wisdom with it in this case, and, and I, just, I just love it. You're going to have seasons in which you're weeping a lot. You're going to have seasons of sorrow, right? But if you walk through those seasons and do not fail to sow, even when you feel like crap, if you continue to try and do good ministry for people, even though you feel junk, if you try to hold on to the truth and love and peace of God, and what does so mean in the kingdom of God? It means share truth and peace and love with other people. As long as you stick with your kingdom calling, even in a season of sorrow, then you will have a harvest. And it is a harvest that will be joyous, like any harvest is, but call me crazy, I think it will probably be more joyous than otherwise because you'll remember that you sowed with, in a season of sorrow, and how much sweeter then to reap that harvest. The best kind of victory there is, is a come from behind victory. Is it true? And, and we get those. I'm sorry, I can't hear you, Craig. Thank you. Thank you. I feel strengthened. That's how redemption works. That's, that's, that's the, 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 the promise of Scripture. As long as you continue to sow, as long as you continue to plant seeds during your season of sorrow, of sin, of failure. I've said uh, oftentimes that the only smart thing I did during uh, the years in which I was suicidally depressed is that I kept ministering. Now, is it appropriate for a man who is suicidally depressed to minister? What's the answer? Oh, yes. Absolutely. In fact, that's the man who must minister. That's the guy, above all others, who needs to keep at it. 
Nothing disqualifies us from ministering. Nothing disqualifies us from sowing. And the fact is, if we keep at it during our crappiest seasons, that's how we set ourselves up for redemption. That's a life lesson that the Bible teaches. Anyone can be faithful when they're happy and successful. Those who are faithful to try when they're unhappy and unsuccessful, well, those people will release something unique in the world. They will have a unique sort of strength, the sort of strength that Peter had when he rebounded from his terrible sin and then had so much strength that he got to minister to his brothers who probably needed a little encouragement after they had seen Jesus murdered. Uh, so that's it. Uh, is redemption at work in your life? What do you think? I mean, that sort of engine of redemption that takes bad experiences and just turns them into power. Redemption is the thing that makes a bad experience part of your power. Is that working in your life? What do you think? Um, or are there some bits of your life that seem unredeemed to you or maybe unredeemable? Some, some way or some experience in your life that just kind of sits there and, and in some fashion limits the Lord's kingdom in your life? You know, some area that you've just declared you know what, that, that's, that's broken, uh, that's a broken dream, uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's an experience I'm just not going to think about anymore. I've declared it unfruitful. No harvest can happen there. It's just too ugly, it's too disappointing, it's too dark. Do you have places like that in your life that you've just declared no harvest zones, no fruit zones? Do you have those? Places that just, I mean, they're buried or they're stuck. Maybe you have uh, those broken areas in your life uh, and you've made peace with them, right? You're like, you know what? I've, I've made peace with that. I've accepted it. I've let it go. Uh, but maybe, maybe that's not enough. Maybe it's time not to just make peace with that terrible experience. Maybe it's time to redeem that experience, right? to let it become a thing of power for you, right? Uh, an experience that actually makes you stronger for having it as terrible as it felt. That's the nature of life in the kingdom of God. What are terrible experiences that you have? Well, I mean, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's uh, you betrayed the Lord in some fashion, like, like Peter did. There's some season of your life where the pressure came and you were like, I'm out of here. You know, life is easier without God, thank you very much. Maybe you went through one of those seasons. Or maybe you've had just a terribly painful experience where you had a broken dream, or uh, like me, a dead-end career, or um, a divorce, or an abandonment, or something like that. And it's just really hard to imagine how that can be redeemed, how that can actually become a part of your power. Here's what you do. 
if you have one of those things in life, turn it into a story that you can tell somebody. You know, like I did when I was preaching in that formal church and talking about my professional frustrations and God was like, no, 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 no. We don't talk about professional frustrations, Jordan. What we do is we preach about failure and heartbreak. You know, go for it. You know, let it be what it was. Terrible. But redeem it. Have faith about it. And strengthen people. Because those sorts of experiences can really build bridges between people. You know, what do people want to hear about you? Want to hear all about your successes and all the wonderful things in your life? No, no, no. They want to hear about your trials and your struggles and the things that make you human. They want to know how you failed because everybody is secretly afraid of being a failure. Um, next week you're going to hear about uh, this, uh, these failure dinners that we want to do as a church. Uh, have you heard about these yet? The idea, you know, look at me like that, they're going to be cool. Um, what we're going to do is uh, some of you are going to host uh, dinner parties uh, where you invite, you know, eight, ten of your friends or something like that. And the idea is, the invitation is come and share a story of your greatest failure. Um, and people are going to show up and you're going to share failure stories. How fun is that? It's going to be awesome. And, and I bet it is. I bet it's incredibly powerful. Um, there's, a, there's a movement of, of uh, entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs and, and business leaders in, in, uh, in, uh, in Europe right now where they're coming together every so often and doing PowerPoint presentations on their biggest failures. They call it something else, but the nice word is failure. Uh, the other word that they used to call it does start with an F, but, you know, you, you, yeah. Um, but it's, it's very bonding and empowering for people. I think, that, I think you could call them redemption dinners. It's like, yeah, you know, this is where I screwed up. Um, because automatically, you get free from it almost. You start talking about how you're going to go forward. Anyway, it's an act of turning the bad experience into, into a positive story. How could you do that? with areas in your life or experiences or sins or whatever it is that need to be redeemed. How could you do that? It might take some creativity, but I bet the Lord will lead you through it. Because he's a redeemer. He is a redeemer. Let's pray. No, let's do this. Let's listen. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Is your redemption really churning through our lives and turning places of ugliness and disappointment and sin into power? Or are we hung up on something? And if we're hung up on something, what is it? And how can we take it and leverage it to bless people? Speak, Lord. Speak, Lord.